I want to start a little differently this morning. Um, Why don't you go ahead and close your eyes and just listen to the word of the Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a heart. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength that cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. So we wait. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the season of Advent. We thank you for your unfailing word. God, we come before you expectant. We come before you humble and ready to receive once again the joy that comes with the proclamation of a Savior's birth. And so let let us receive it fully. Let us declare it for others to hear, God. As we we have a chance now to submit ourselves to this amazing truth, I pray that it would only continue to change us and transform us and encourage us and embolden us to live for you. So Father, now open our hearts, our minds, awaken our souls to serve you and to glorify you in the coming of our Savior. For it's in his precious and holy name, the name above all names, in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everyone this morning. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Did you? Yes? Yeah? You had plenty of time to rest, hopefully. Hopefully you had a chance to watch a terrible Cowboys football game and eat a lot of food. I don't know about you, but for me, it's I, I'm like on four days running of just a perpetual state of being full, right? Like I just, it's like every time I walk through the kitchen, it's this grazing mentality where I just find one more thing to consume. It's ridiculous. But hopefully it was rewarding for you, it was encouraging for you. Uh, And now we're in Advent. And one of the things that I'm always reminded of when we approach this time of year is just the drastic shift in seasons that we have from Thanksgiving to Christmas, right? I mean, it's just immediately from one holiday to the next. And we do a lot of things to usher in the Advent season, right? We do a lot of things to kind of get us shifted gears, I guess, as we approach Christmas. Uh, Think about all the different ways 
that you kind of welcome in a new season. Uh, decorations would obviously be one who started decorating their home, right? Okay, that's almost like immediately for us. It, it's almost kind of jarring that the, the whiplash it creates going from one holiday to the next. On Thursday night, you finish Thanksgiving, and, and for me, I'm going to bed in a house that in some way was decorated to look a little bit like an autumn forest, and then you wake up the next day and you're trying to change it into the North Pole. You know, you go from oranges and yellows and leaves and pumpkins to all of a sudden the red and the green and the wreaths and, and Santas and nutcrackers and all this stuff. It's like, like Chip and Joe going to business with Buddy the Elf, and all of it just begins to involve in your home. It's crazy. And, and so we're on full decoration mode in, in our home. You, you don't just decorate, you shop, right? It's, it's hilarious. Black Friday, it's not even on Friday anymore. We just went ahead and moved it up to Thursday night. And so immediately you start shopping and you start thinking about things that you need to put on your list and things you need to put on other people's list. And you, you come up with all these ideas of what you're gonna buy or what you want. And it's just immediate shopping that gets you reminded of all the things that transpire with the gift giving during the Christmas season. Uh, movies, right? You got some good Christmas movies that you start watching again. You've got events that you have to attend. We have numerous things that are typically lined up at a church or at your school or in your neighborhoods and your community. There are all these different things that we put on our calendars in the month of December. So all these things that we do to usher in the Advent season. But the one that I probably enjoy the most is Christmas music. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, I just love the Christmas music. My family in general, we love music. Uh, if you come by the Smith household, there's a great chance that you're going to come by at a time where we have music playing in the background. Maybe there's a kid sitting at a piano, somebody's playing the guitar, and, and it's not uncommon for us to break out into some form of an epic dance party every once in a while. And every time we do this in our house, it just makes the day better. You know, I mean, we just, we just get happier. I mean, that's just kind of the power of music. And so this is a time where we can all really enjoy the Christmas season and the joy that it brings through our familiar Christmas songs. And so I wanna begin today with a bit of a quiz. I wanna see how well you are uh, preparing yourself for the Advent season as well as, as understanding these, these well-known Christmas songs. So I have a couple of riddles for us today, and each riddle is describing a well-known Christmas song. So I'm going I'm to see if you're in the Advent spirit. Let's go with our first one. 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. without noise. Silent night. Good job. I gave you an easy one to start. Okay, good job. Let's go to the next one. Listen, aerial spirits announcing. Hark the herald angels sing, right? Another great one. Okay, let's go to our third one. Fantasia of a colorless December 25th. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Good job. And number four, adorn the vestibule. I think here we could say adorn the loggia. Deck the halls, right? And then one more. Let's, let's get in the Christmas spirit. Exuberance directed to the planets. Joy to the world, right? All these fun ways to remember different Christmas carols. And that last one is really the theme for today's message, joy to the world. And it's a song that we sing. We've already sung it this morning. It's a phrase that is common. You find it on Christmas cards. You find it in decorations. But today we really try to dive into a greater understanding of how do we live that out? What does that look like within my life and within the context of community during the Advent season? How do we truly stand up and declare joy to the world. And that's what we want to pursue together. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 33. I just read it in its entirety. Uh, Matt used it as a call to worship this morning. And this is going to be the psalm that we use throughout the Advent season. 
uh, that the plan is to take this psalm and to break it down uh, into different sections for each Sunday of Advent. And as we break it down in different sections, we're going to be able to extract certain themes that you see within those sections. And today, we're going to look at the first three verses and the undeniable theme that begins this beautiful psalm is this theme of joy. And so let's read these first three verses together and then we'll discuss some uh, components to how this awakens us to this call to declare joy to the world. Verse one says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a heart. Make music to him on the 10 string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. I love the way that Psalm 33 begins. And, and it really begins with this ascription and this invitation to praise. And I really want us to look at it in three kind of different sections or different perspectives this morning. I want us to consider it through the lens of this invitation of praise and how we can understand this call to praise a little bit more holistically and comprehensively so that we can understand how we pursue joy. Then I want us to look at the methodology uh, that the psalmist is evoking to how we can describe or, or practice our praise. And then finally, who is it that is being invited to offer the praise? Those are the three things I want us to walk through very quickly this morning. And so let's begin with this ascription to praise, this invitation to praise. There are actually four different terms just in these first three verses that really kind of help us get a clearer picture of what praise really looks like. And, and it starts with those first two words, sing joyfully. And, and I love that. What a, what a wonderful way to begin a psalm. And, and it's a good reminder for us because this opening word, this term here is not just a suggestion. It, it's, it's not a a comment, it's not a, 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 a consideration, this is a command, right? This is the psalmist saying, this isn't an option for you. I'm not just inviting you to this, I'm instructing you, sing joyfully. This is the mark of the community of God. This is what his people do. When they sing, they sing with joy. And I love that reminder. This word is used so frequently in the Old Testament that one scholar that I was studying this week said that this was one of the chief characteristics of the Old Testament religion, joy. And so when you think about what our practice should be, it's a reminder that a mark of a follower of Christ should be one of joy. When people step through these doors and we gather together week in and week out, we should experience on some level joy. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to be his people. Now, we also need to acknowledge, though, that if we're going to have this, this command, if we're going to have this conversation today about joy, that we need to recognize it is not the only expression of worship. And that's important for us to, to not lose sight of, right? There, there are other times in the scriptures when we're called to, to be more contemplative, to meditate, to be still, even lament or mourn. And all those are appropriate expressions of worship, but, but we can't uh, allow those seasons and those times where we need to be silent, where we need to lament, where we need to mourn, to make us lose sight of the fact that we are also called to joy. Joy is what we are called to do. So I would be willing to bet that for many of us, we approach this Advent season with a mixture of emotions. So what's yours? What, what's your posture? What's your heart telling you as you enter in this Advent season this year? Would you say it's joyful? I would anticipate that some of you out there would say, listen, I, I want to be joyful. I understand the, the need to be joyful, the desire to be joyful, but this seems like a very difficult thing right now. 
I'm not in that place. I'm, I'm in another season. I'm facing too many different things, too many burdens, too many different obstacles. And what I would tell you this morning is embrace the season that you're in. Because it too can be worshipful. But if we can take some time to reflect upon Psalm 33, then maybe we can see how joy is possible even in the midst of those other seasons. And I think we get some insight to this with some of the other terms that you find in these first three verses. You see the word praise mentioned at least twice in these first three verses, but those are actually two different words in the Hebrew. The first is tehillah, and that would be a word that's more related to thanksgiving and gratitude. Right? And that, that should be something that we should have somewhat on the back of our minds coming on the heels of Thanksgiving. Hopefully you had time throughout the course of the last few days to stop and pause and reflect about all the different things for which you can be grateful for. Right? The things in your life, blessings in your life, things that maybe uh, are often overlooked or taken for granted and to just stop and, and to be thankful. It's a good reminder that if we truly want to experience joy, we need to stop and practice gratitude as well. Right? And too often, we can lose sight of those things. You think about some of the basic things that you teach children. Say please and thank you. Right? This is just a common practice because when we teach people to be grateful, it allows us to stop and recognize the many wonderful things that are taking place in our life, even if we don't always see it. And so when you think about where you are in this season, one of the things that you can think about in terms of your relationship to Christ is how you are typically offering up those prayers? Do you find yourself spending more time asking for something or being grateful for something? Right? To get closer to joy during this Advent season, we need to stop and practice this continual state of gratitude. Right? To, to find those things and to give praise and to give thanks for God deep within our souls for what he has done and what he is doing. Which is kind of what leads us to this other term for praise, which is yada. And in this, this other term that you find here in these first three verses is less about gratitude and more about confession. And confession is an interesting word for us because a lot of times when we use the word confession, we think more along the lines of confessing sin. But confession is just making a statement. And, and this word in particular is, is this idea of, of stating publicly. And, and typically what you find, and it was, it was evidence in the reading of the entire psalm, and we're gonna come back to it in, in uh, future Sundays, is that part of what the, the people of God would confess, part of what they would declare publicly, is the characteristics of God, the nature of God, and what he has done. Right? It, it's a confession of who God is and what he has done over and over and over again. And I think that's so important for us because one of the reasons we struggle to find joy or we struggle to experience joy is because the world will do everything it can to convince us of a different picture of God. So we go through a trial, we go through a hardship, we go through something that's difficult, and the world comes in and whispers close, well, God is distant. God is unloving. God has forgotten you. God is harsh. And we have all these different voices in our head that cause us to question or to compose a different picture of who God is. But true praise, and the reason we gather together is to remind her, no, this is our God. Our God is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is rich in love. Take that in this morning, church. That's who our God is. He is rich in love. 
in that fact alone, his nature, his essence is worthy of joyful praise. But it's not just his nature, it's what he's done. When you think about all the different things that he is he has made and the way in which he has put his nature and his, his creative work on display just through creation itself. You wake up in the morning and you feel the cold breeze. And you wake up and you see the, the sun piercing through the clouds and you see the trees and the changing colors of autumn and the change of season. This is the, the craftsmanship. This is the work of our creator. And it demands praise, right? It's this moment when we have this this awesome wonder, and we consider all the works that thy hands have made. When we see the stars, we hear the rolling thunder, his power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior, my God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. We think about who God is and what he has done, he is worthy of praise. So we have not just gratitude, we have confession. This practice to not lose sight of God's character in the works of his hands. Now the other word that we find in these opening three verses that help kind of complete this picture of praise and joy is that, that last word there, it says shout for joy. And, and I love this one. This is actually a word that was typically associated with the blast of a trumpet. Okay, so, so now there's this, this joyful noise that is accompanying the praise of the people. And the, the blast of the trumpet could be used in a couple different contexts, usually three or four different settings. A lot of times it was a signal, it was an announcement. It was typically uh, blown during the Day of Atonement, right? So signifying a significant day in the life of the people. This was a signal call or an announcement of a particular season or moment. It was often used in the context of battle. Right? Maybe an enemy was approaching and the, and the trumpet would blast to awaken God's people to rise up and fight. Or, or maybe it was blown in the midst of the battle to inspire God's people to continue to fight. Uh, you, you see this used in the midst of battle as well. And then the third element of it was typically used as an exaltation of joy. Right? That, that there was something that just couldn't be contained and so they had to, to blast it, to declare it through the trumpet as a shout of joy. It's a reminder that once again, joy is not meant to be constrained. It's meant to be shared. You want to shout it from the rooftops. That's the sort of picture of praise that we have being painted for us here in these first three verses, right? It's a command that reminds us to, to confess, to give gratitude, and to share as a declaration, as a shout of what God has done and who he is, right? This is the picture of praise that the psalmist is painting. Now, one of the things that I love about these first three verses is the methodology that it invites us into as well. What's clearly portrayed for us here is that we, we share this praise, we practice this joy through music. Now, I love music. Music is so powerful. One of the things that we see, not just in Psalm 33, but really throughout all of the scripture, is that God has given music. God, God loves to hear his people make music. Right? He, he loves for it to be an integral part of worship. There's a reason that it is so intertwined with how God's people worship. Right? He loves to receive it. And the same way, he loves to awaken our emotions through the gift of music. Think about how powerful music really is. Right? I mean, uh, I, one of the, the things that I came across in, in preparing for this was this research that shows 
that uh, music stimulates more parts of the brain than any other human function. I mean, that's really remarkable when you think about it. It, it. It taps into our emotions. It taps into our memories. I mean, think about just the different way a melody can, can conjure up a certain emotion or attitude. Think about the way you feel when you hear the melody of O Holy Night and its invitation to contemplation and just serenity and beauty versus something that's much more festive like Jingle Bell Rock, right? I mean, it's just the, the way in which you immediately respond to these things and the emotion that it evokes. And, and it has this, this imprint on your memory, right? Music has this way of just being ingrained with us that we can remember the truths that we sing or we can even remember the, the places that we were and the things that we were doing when we heard that particular song. And all these memories come flooding back, right? Every time I hear Boomer Sooner, right? And all the joy and all the excitement, right? It's, it's, a, good, it's a good memory for me right now, thankfully, right? And so we have this ability to have music just usher us into something incredibly profound. And so God's given us that gift. And so there are several things that can be learned from Psalm 33 of how this gift should be used in this methodology. One of the things that we see is that it's corporate. It's meant to be communal. Almost every word that's used here for praise or this invitation to praise is, is typically plural. Not all of them, but most of them are plural. And, and, and what that's telling us is that this was for God's people to do together. Right? There's something powerful about the church coming together to make music and to sing alongside one another. Right? One of the things that we need to remind ourselves is that if we're going to, to try to pursue joy during the Advent season, especially if we're going through hardship, especially if we're going through some sort of struggle, is the impulse to withdraw and, and to kind of uh, seclude ourselves. And how very rarely does that ever actually lead to joy. And while our instincts may not always lead us towards community, and, and maybe we find it uncomfortable, but if we take that step and we come sit alongside one another, we're gonna find those opportunities to encourage one another through song, through fellowship, through prayer. This is who God is. And this is what he has done. Don't forget. Right? And so making music congregationally, corporately, communally is incredibly powerful. The, the cyclical nature of this psalm in particular tells us that it was actually probably sung in a way from one generation declaring God's works to the next. Right? And it's really kind of multifaceted. Matt does a good job of pointing this out. It, it, it goes multi-directional. It's not just the older generation to the young. It's the younger to the old. It's, it's back and forth. But there's something so incredibly powerful about God's people throughout different generations gathering together to sing. And I love that about our church. I love that we are multi-generational, that we're intergenerational. And we, we practice that like we did just the hour before the service and gathering together and to be able to sit shoulder to shoulder and say, listen, this is what God has done in my life. This is who he is. And to remind ourselves of those truths through different stories and different generations of how God has proven himself to be faithful. That's the power of coming together and singing corporately together. Now, we also see references to different instrumentation, right? You see the harp. You, you see the lyre. Lyre? Feels weird calling it a lyre, but that's, I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but that's what I'm going with. Right, you see the harp, you see the lyre, and, and it's interesting, those, those uh, instruments were typically symbols of, of joy, and that's probably why the psalmist is referring them, to them here. Now, one of the things that we need to make sure we understand 
is that the psalmist isn't saying this, this is the only way to sing joyfully. This is the only way to make joyful music is through these instruments, right? If you, if you consult Psalm 150 and you see the, the myriad of different instruments that can be used in worship in all the different ways, this is a great reminder that God doesn't have a favorite instrument. Now you do, right? And I do, and it's not country, right? But God doesn't, and I love that. I think that's so powerful that there's nothing in scripture where we get any sort of biblical support to say, this is the instrument God sees as sacred, right? What, what he invites us to is the variety with which we can make music to the Lord. And that's something that we strive for here. And can I just tell you, that's, that's incredibly difficult. It's so hard because what we, what we desire as a church is we want to have some form of a musical identity. We, we need to have like a bit of an anchor where we can say this is where you can expect, this is what you can kind of get comfortable with, but we wanna create an identity that still allows for that variation. And it, the variation has to go well beyond traditional and contemporary. The variation needs to go beyond into all forms of instruments. It needs to be a variation culturally, ethnically. It needs to be a variation in any sort of capacity that we can so that we can remind ourselves of the many different ways that we can give praise to God. And that's depicted here in Psalm 33. Make music with the harp, with the 10 string layer, whatever you can to make music. Make music to the Lord. I love that picture. Now the other thing that we see is this call to sing a new song. And I think this is an important dis disclaimer to capture as well. Right? Is that one of the things I want to make sure we see is that this call to sing a new song is not out of musical boredom. Okay, so it's not like the early... Uh, psalmist here is gathered around the campfire with the other musicians saying, guys, I'm so tired of playing GCD over and over again. Like, we need a new chord progression, right? Let's come up with something different. That's not what's happening here. This is what's so cool about this. What's, what's happening here is every time they gather, they're reminded of new reasons to sing. It's not just who God is. It's not just what God has done. It is what God is doing. Every story of transformation, every story of healing, every story of reconciliation, every story of hope was a reason to sing. It was a reminder that God is still at work. Let's sing a new song because he's still here, he's still active, and he's still in our midst. That's the sort of new song that they're singing. So when we gather together, we share the good news of what God is doing in our lives. We, we share these testimonies of healing and hope and redemption and reconciliation. And when we do, we say there's still a new reason to sing. That's the sort of newness that the psalmist is describing. And so we have this wonderful picture of music and how it's used to, to evoke and to elicit this, this call towards praise and towards joy. Now, anytime you talk about music, and in its role in worship, I think it also needs to come with a word of caution because it's so powerful and it's so engaging and it becomes so personal that it's easy for us to fall in love with the method more than the creator. And we need to be very careful with that. And there, there are several places in scripture that guard us against that. Amos has a wonderful passage in Amos chapter five where God is speaking to his people and he says, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. 
but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So it's very easy for us to become so attached that we idolize the methodology. And what God clearly says is that, listen, no matter how beautifully you sing, no, no matter how sophisticated, no matter how skillfully, that is not what I delight in. I've given you this gift, but what I delight is not in the method, but the heart. And that's what leads us to this third component of Psalm 33. It's not just the invitation to praise. It's not just the methodology of praise. It's who has been invited to sing. And this is really, to me, what, what gives this psalm its, its strong footing in these opening verses. Who is it that's been invited? The righteous and the upright. All right, so let's, let's think through these terms and the implications of them so that we have the, the heart that is desired to find joy and to declare the praise that God deserves. So, so righteous and upright are really two words that are used almost interchangeably in these verses. They're, they're almost synonyms that imply this idea that there's a standard that is being adhered to, right? There, there is, a, there is a, a way of rightness to live, and the righteous and the upright live according to this standard, right? Now, you think about this. This could come from an ethical viewpoint, could come from a moral viewpoint, could come from a lot of different ways, and, and you think about the giving of the law, you think about the words of the prophets. There's a lot of ways that the people of this time could have interpreted the understanding of righteous or being upright. Now, if, if I were to summarize a lot of those things, one of the ways to describe it, especially from an Old Testament perspective, would be anyone who was willing to serve God. Right? That's the heart of the righteous, one who wants to come before the Lord and serve him. Now, now what do we do with that? How do we in, interpret that in, in our setting today? Because here's what we see in the full teaching of Scripture, is that if you keep reading and you get to the New Testament, and you get to Romans, and you get to an understanding of what our real condition is, what do we discover? There is no one righteous, no, not one. So what are the implications? If this is an invitation to the righteous, if this is an invitation to the upright, and we see that that's not possible for us, then that, does that make joy impossible as well? How do we truly live this out if the call is for the righteous and we know that's not us? There are several things that have to be unearthed and that have to be broken down in order for us to understand our place in responding to Psalm 33, in light of the cross, right? The, the first is this, is that if we're truly going to serve God, if we're truly gonna have the righteous and upright heart, what that looks like is first and foremost, we have to know Jesus. Do you? Do you really know him? Uh, my hope and my prayer is that this Advent season is more than just coming to church for you. Right, that it, it's more than just good memories with family, that it's more than just coming to events and singing familiar songs. Do you actually know Jesus? Right, that what the scriptures teach is that there is nothing you can do. There, there is no way to earn into salvation, into heaven, into these promises that he has allowed for us to receive. Nothing we can do. The good news of Advent is that God sees us in that brokenness and steps into it through the person of Jesus, through the breath of a newborn babe. We get the ultimate promise that he 
is with us. And through Jesus' love for you and for me that takes him even beyond the manger and to the cross, gives us the assurance that he takes away all of our wickedness, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. It is only through the righteousness of Christ, through the blood of the Lamb, through his grace and through his mercy, that our hearts can die and surrender and say, I want to serve you. That's only possible if we know Christ. Do you know him? And it's not just that we know Christ, but we submit to his lordship. Right, it's about submission. It's about reverence. Again, please tell me that the Advent season is more than just memorizing a familiar story, but it's actually acknowledging acknowledging Jesus as the Lord. Have you? If people were to look in on your life at this season, would they say, that's someone who seems to be following Christ? Would they be able to see his lordship? Would they be able to see his imprint on your life, on your choices, on your thoughts, on the way that you're approaching this Christmas season? Is that what would be evident? Or is it about the decorations? Is it about the wish list? Is it about the giving? Is it about the activities? What would your life declare? Right, we have to submit to him as Lord. This is that moment where we say, I understand that this is not just the arrival of some miracle birth. This is the arrival of a king. And this Jesus is my Lord. I want to offer everything I am to him. I want every part of my life to be used for his glory and his purposes and his plan above my own. That's how we get the heart that is willing to serve God, that is righteous and upright. It's not just that we know him. It's not just that we submit to his lordship. It's also that we have our hopes renewed. Right, I love that aspect of it. I understand, as we said earlier, that many of us approach this Advent season with a mixture of emotions. And some of us come in here today with significant hardships and significant trials. And one of the most encouraging things that we find in this gospel, in this good news, is that hardship produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And his hope does not disappoint us because he's poured out his love for you and for me. See, I I think sometimes the reason we struggle to find joy is because we keep God at a distance, right? Because we're, we're worried about being disappointed. We think, man, if I have to go through one more heartache, if I have to endure one more failure, if I have to endure one more tragedy, I don't know if I can take it. And so we distance ourselves. And what Advent says is don't distance yourselves, draw near. My hope will not disappoint you. Now the hard truth, church, is that you may have to go your whole life and not experience the fulfillment of that hope until the other side of death. But let me assure you this morning, his hope will not disappoint. So when we gather together and we praise and we confess we do so with a renewed hope, a reminder of who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. And it's not just a renewed hope, it's also this this understanding that our trust has to be in his love and in his deliverance. So is that what you're trusting during the Advent season? See, what we discover is that belief is very intricately intertwined with joy. 
if we don't really believe these things, right, if we're just going through the motions and we're just trying to fool the people around us and we're even trying to fool ourselves, let me just go ahead and, and break the news for you. It, joy is gonna be hard to find. But if you actually believe it, right, if you actually believe in the miracle of this Advent season and all that it means for you and not just for you but for us and not just for us but the world, if we truly trust that sort of love, if we truly trust that sort of deliverance, then I assure you joy is possible. Not, not even just possible, it's almost uh, instinctive because we once again put our trust in the right things. Listen, we'll go through the Advent season and again the world will try to convince us to put our trust in so many other things. Trust in family memories. Tr trust in a great vacation. Trust in more success in your career. Trust in, in all these other things. And you may get moments of joy, but I assure you they will be fleeting in comparison to the joy we have when our trust is fully in Christ and Christ is King. So this is the sort of heart that allows itself to be able to serve God and is then described as upright and righteous. And so when we pursue these things, this is how we begin to live into this life of praise. Right? This is how we respond to this command to, to have gratitude, to confess it, to, to announce it, and to make it a signal that for all to hear, to be able to make music in a beautiful way, in a joyful way, all these different things that the psalmist describes only comes if we have the right heart. One that is willing to know Christ, submit to his lordship, have our hopes renewed, and trust in his love and deliverance. And so let me close with this. Maybe my favorite aspect to these first three verses is one little word, all right? It's in the first verse that says, it is fitting for the upright to praise him. I love that. Fitting obviously means it's appropriate, but, but when you actually study the word, there's even a, a more powerful interpretation from my perspective. It actually can also mean beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful for the upright, for the righteous to praise him in this way. And it's almost as if God is painting for us a beautiful picture of what it looks like when his people come together and they respond to this command to, to praise and to experience joy. He's painting a picture of what it looks like for his people to come together and to be grateful for who he is, to confess what he has done and what he is doing, and to declare it for others to hear. He's painting a picture of what it's like when God's people come together and sing from one generation to the next, and they sing new songs reminding each other that he is still at work. He's painting a picture that is beautiful of what it looks like when God's people come together and they celebrate the story of Jesus and they acknowledge his lordship and they say, my hope will not fail, but it will be renewed because I trust in his unfailing love. He's painting a beautiful picture, church. And it's the picture I desire for us during this Advent season. That you and I could come together and stand shoulder to shoulder and live all these things out and declare one to another, not just within these walls, but beyond it. And with one voice, with our lives, we can declare joy to the world. 
because our Lord has come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for any heart that is in here today that is hurting or grieving. God, I pray for any heart that is distant, a heart that perhaps may be apathetic, complacent. God, any heart that perhaps may be angry or hurt or wounded. Father, a heart that may be lonely. And I pray that you would speak to all of those hearts, to each and every one of us, God, that you would whisper once again this powerful reminder of Advent. That those of us that walk in a life of shadows, we are reminded, God, that we can see a great light. Father, for those of us perhaps walking in darkness, a light has dawned. We are invited to this manger scene. We are invited to this humble, miraculous birth. And we are invited to see once again a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, Prince of Peace. Father, you are our mighty God. And so let us stand, not just in this service, but each and every day of our week, encouraging one another to be grateful, encouraging one another to confess who you are, to do this corporately, to make music before your ears, to do so, Father, as one generation to the next, constantly singing a new song, God, that declares your lordship, that declares your sovereignty, that renews our hopes and allows us to put our trust in your unfailing love, Father. Let us truly be a people that can declare the joy that we have in Christ and declare it boldly to this world. For it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen.